welcome to episode 38 of the Brosane Detroit Pistons podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane here on Super Bowl Sunday in 2018. Yeah, but we're not here to talk about football. We're here to talk about the big Blake trade. And there are our fans are dying to know the official Brosane take. I, I think I've had like three of my friends text me. There's been a couple mentions on Twitter. I would hazard to say there's as many as five people who really would love to know our take on this. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to give everyone what they want. Yeah, I think it's uh, I, I, it's it's hard to remember last time we've had this much excitement. Um, I mean, having somebody who is such a high usage player, somebody who's not just like, yeah, he's pretty good on offense, but you got to have a real team concept. Like this guy can just we've seen it in the two games. He can just create a shot a lot of times. It's not magic, you know. He had a little trouble against Miami, uh, just when we put him one on one on a couple possessions, but it's like. It's weird. It's almost like goes back to Grant Hill and Jerry Stackhouse the last time we had somebody who the defense was actually scared of. Yeah, it's, it's been really fun to watch. I mean, I think what we want to cover in this episode is, should we have done it in the first place? Um, have the have the press and the pundits been fair to us doing this trade? What led us to do it? Like, how bad were we with it, with Reggie being out? And now that we've done it, like, what's what could be our perspective going forward? What's our upside? What are our risks? And uh, I think that we talked about this on Twitter a little bit. Our, our kind of TLDR assessment is that it was risky. Uh, we perhaps wouldn't have done it because of the, the risk of Blake being injured and us being stuck with uh, basically the team before Blake for like four years uh, with being capped out. Uh, but uh, So maybe we wouldn't have done it, but the press has really hammered us yeah. uh, and making it sound like we're complete fools, desperate fools for doing this trade, and that seems a little bit rash. Yeah, I, I, I've been really disappointed with... Um, just have, trying to be a good team who's uh, in the contention for the conference finals, but not having the perfect plan to make sure you get LeBron James and win a title is so unfashionable right now um, that, yeah, we, we've been hammered on that. But let's talk about some of the context for what what situation were we in when we made this trade? Why is everyone saying we're desperate? You know, Reggie Jackson got hurt at a time when we had – we had cooled off a little bit. We were still a pretty good team. We were in playoff contention. And yeah. Reggie Jackson sprains his ankle. He's out six to eight weeks with a grade three ankle sprain, which means that there's some tearing of his ligament. And, you know, people's ligaments are often loose for the rest of their career after they, something like that. And we lose eight in a row. Yeah, and we were, you know, we were like 11 and eight, about like an average team league-wide at that at the time of Reggie's injury, and in the East, that put us at about maybe the fifth or sixth seed, I think it was. Uh, and then, yeah, we've been about the worst team in the league since then. Uh, you know, four and twelve, lost eight straight. We were uh, our offense, our net rating was negative three point four, which is twenty second uh, best. So we, I, I don't know, if we waited two more weeks till Reggie got back, it probably would have been too late to salvage this season too, which really sucks because it feels like had we had him the entire season, uh, you know, you mentioned before this episode. Had had Reggie just stayed with us, who knows whether people were starting to figure out our kind of new motiony offense, and we would have just not been very good anyway. But like, yeah. it kind of seemed like maybe we were going to be like a six seed, going strong into the All Star break. We might have actually had uh, Tobias Harris in the All Star game. He's been playing; he was playing really well. Yeah, he was a borderline All Star. We, and it's not just Reggie's injury. We also had Avery Bradley playing with some sort of mysterious groin injury, where. He would play and play really poorly, but then go see a specialist. It would be reported every now and again, um, which I think was really hampering his ability to really cut, you know, hard to the rim and stuff like that. He was taking a, 
a lot of jumpers, throwing away a lot of passes. And then um, Stanley Johnson was missing time and hurting our wing depth. Now, sometimes he plays poorly, so it, maybe it helps that he's out. But as we've seen the last couple of games, when he's healthy and playing well, he, he's starting to show glimmers. So we were struggling on a lot of fronts. In addition to losing John Luer for the season, if, if we get first half of last season John Luer, that's a really good player, first two-thirds of last season. Uh, the last part of the season he struggled. So we're not sure which guy we would have gotten. Would have been nice to have the option. So we're to, to have all this like start the season as a team that looks like we could win 50 games, and then we get a few injuries, and then suddenly everyone's saying, well, the coach is bad, the GM is bad. You know, people on Twitter, a Pistons Twitter, are, you know, really complaining vociferously about, like, specific out-of-bounds plays or on this possession, why did you have this guy in? Or, you know, or, oh, gosh, why aren't we playing Langston Galloway five more minutes a game? As if that's going to turn us from a 38-win pace team to a 50-win pace team. Uh, so th- things are really coming off the wagon, both on the court and I think really kind of emotionally among Pistons fans. And and so I think that's why it's fair to say there might have been an air of desperation, uh, or that's why that comes to people's minds. Yeah. But, but it's 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 not like we mortgaged the farm. We traded a first-round pick and a player we weren't going to re-sign in Avery Bradley and a borderline all-star for a five-time all-star who's, gonna, who's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame if he doesn't uh, get injured. The rest of this contract, yeah, and I think it's fair to say that we, yeah we felt desperate as Pistons fan, but it's not fair to say that like we a- we acted out of a completely com- completely compromised desperate position, and that's kind of like the emergency Bill Simmons podcast was just like yeah. they were they were just like it was almost felt like you know they're just like laughing they might as well have been smoking cigars laughing at like a burning you know <laughs> you know. Pistons logo or something like that about how stupid we were and how they just you know that that's how brilliant. Uh, what was it? Uh, who was it? Uh, Jerry West or the? Oh yeah, I, I, the behind the scenes guy in the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. how how brilliant they were to to fleece Sam Van Gundy, who was desperate right now, and and so sure, Sam Van Gundy knows he's taking a risk, and maybe the fact that he sees him like he's on like the fourth year of his five year contract right now. Yep, that does probably play into it to some degree. He wants to see what he can do in his time here, um, so he can't have like a ten year horizon. But I don't see this being like a complete terrible trade at first when when I first heard about the trade I thought that Blake might have still been injured and I was wrong about that and he actually was back already and playing well so yeah and and given now that we've seen him for a couple of games it just feels like you said like a breath of fresh air to have someone who can freaking handle the ball and just like do something with it (laughs) besides besides, you know no one really could do that before like at every play for us to not suck had to be like a well-executed team play and we really, we really didn't have much to fall back on besides Reggie, but that, even that was kind of like, uh. yeah, I mean, yeah, our big hero to create on offense was a league average starting point guard, Reggie Jackson. Yeah, uh, who is a good offensive player and, and is fine, but like, if he's your best guy on offense, you really got to execute perfectly. Yeah, so having some breathing room, and and he's also he's not just like a a selfish get his own stats kind of guy. I mean, his strength is passing. And we've seen that. We've seen him be a threat, draw a lot of defenders, uh, get a lot of assists every game. Uh, Drummond, for for whatever it's worth, has been playing awesome the first two games. Uh, There's no reason to believe that they'll be clogged together. I mean, um, they're both good passing big men, especially Blake. So if, you know, I can see this this coming together uh, and it being exciting. So the first 
the first couple of games really gives me a better feeling about this is fun for right now. You know, like, yeah, we, we, we're taking a risk. Three years from now, we might be kicking ourselves. But let's not rob ourselves of enjoying the fact that this season is now salvaged. We can be excited about making a run at being in the top four and maybe being able to win the first round of the playoffs. You could talk yourself into saying in the absolute best case scenario, this becomes kind of like a modern like Rashid Wallace type trade where we're not going to win a championship, but like it gets us into the Eastern Conference Finals. To me, that's like you know that's what you could you, yeah. can, you can dream about at night if you're a Pistons fan. We're putting ourselves in a position where if a few things break right, we're contenders in the but East. It, no, I mean we, yeah, we're contenders in the East. I mean no one's touching the Warriors. Yeah, but it, things would have to break right. Like it's not the most likely scenario, but we're we're good now, and and that's that's really fun. I don't think there's anything. Wrong with that. It's unfashionable, but we're to be a good team who hasn't mortgaged your future or traded away all your young guys. I think I, that's how I would describe SVG's strategy as a GM, as a president of basketball operations: is be as good as you can without selling the farm. Like the you know we aren't the New Orleans Pelicans who we trade away all our first round picks because we want to make sure we make the playoffs. That that's not what we've done. We've traded. We, we didn't trade any first-round picks or young guys away until this trade that we were already a playoff team, and this moves us up in the playoff rankings. I sh- we shouldn't trade away any more draft picks. And again, I, I probably wouldn't have pulled the trigger on this one, but it was like a 60-40 kind of thing for me mm-hmm. uh, because of the risk of the contract. But, I, you know, this is defensible. It's a coherent strategy. Um, and and the, the people who are criticizing it who, who want you to either somehow – pull off the James Harden trade or get LeBron James to join your your team in free agency like some of the other contenders have. Get really lucky with your draft like um, Golden State did. Golden State, uh, the way they built their team was without having any first number one overall picks, they drafted Steph Curry and Klay Thompson in the middle of the lottery and had them work out to be better than anyone expected. And they signed David Lee and Andre Iguodala and Andrew Bogut to big contracts. That's, that sounds like a Stan Van Gundy type of move. And then they were pretty good. And then those guys suddenly, they lucked out. They got awesome. And then they were, and then they were amazing. And then they got ass lucky with the uh, salary cap thing to get Kevin Durant. Uh, so that, I, I think, uh, again, it's unfashionable, but it's defensible. You, you, your only goal is not to win a championship. Your goal is... To have your franchise still exist, don't don't alienate your fans enough to where your franchise has to move. Detroit was getting to the point where we, I wondered where whether we would have to think about that. You want you need to be, you might want to try to be profitable uh, during the times when you're uh, not contenders, so that when you are contenders, you can afford to pay luxury tax five years in a row. There's a lot of you, you want to have a fan base where you, if you're the owner walking around town, people don't throw stuff at you. You know, like there's just. It's fun for the journalists to sit back with their spreadsheets and say, we must optimize for winning a championship, but only one out of 30 teams can win. And I think that being a consistent fourth seed in the in the Eastern Conference, I would I would love that. Like that, I, I, I would be very happy doing that for like three seasons. And then from there, you could get lucky. For instance, Luke Kennard could become as good as J.J. Redick or... You know, Stanley Johnson could develop a, a, a decent three-point shot and become a really good two-way three and D guy. Uh, a lot of things could could start to break right for us to, to bring it to bring us one more level above, or maybe 
you take some guys who are promising like that, and because we're already pretty good, another star is willing to come here because they can they can see themselves being the star that puts us over the top, something like that. So, but that said, I I think I I feel like there's a risk that even with Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson coming back, <coughs> if somehow we're still like seventh eighth seed, that'd be a disaster. I would not be happy with that. But it, yeah. so I, I don't see that happening. I, I, yeah, I think when they're if they're both healthy that our our ceiling is higher than that. But I mean so let's talk about the the risk of Blake Griffin's contract. Why is everyone talking about this like it's so bad? Well, it's it's for the next few years. I think there are four more years after this one. It was a 5-year. It wasn't quite the max, but it was like, you know, close enough. It's like he's making 30 something million in the last year of his deal. It's a player option. It's like 39 million dollars. So that takes up, you know, the cap is going to go up between now and then. You know, NBA is talking about maybe getting in on some gambling revenue action. You know, who knows? Maybe the cap will go up and it won't matter. But that could take up like a third of your salary cap, and it really locks in your team, especially with Andre Drummond's contract there too, taking up another quarter of the cap. And so that's a big commitment, and and Blake is injury prone. Uh, so one way to so I want to say two things about this. One is, what is the actual risk here? You know, let's look at some other players who have been injury prone how injury prone was Blake Griffin and the other the other thing I'll just say real quickly is the worst case scenario here is Blake Griffin gets injured and becomes bad or not that good to where he's making like less than half where he's producing less than half of what his contract's worth what we can do then is what all these cool kids on the internet want us to do anyway which is do the Philadelphia Sixers process which is to suck for a few years and get good draft picks You'd be high in the lottery and get picks. Well, we'd have, we'd have to suck badly enough though to actually get top lottery picks, not like the the the, the curse we had for five years where we had like the number eight pick and number nine pick, which which can be arranged if you you know if you're willing to do if you, it, yeah. if you start trading away your good players for future draft picks. Like if we find ourselves in that situation, we can just do what they've been saying we should do anyway. But I, I, again, I, I probably would have stuck with. Um, Tobias and our draft pick and just keep trying to do the slow build but it's not you know that that's a turn we might have to go down in the future in the worst case scenario but so how likely is that worst case scenario while I looked at uh some just a list of who has done what Blake Griffin did which is um had a bunch of seasons he's a five-time all-star who has done this where they had a PER over 22 and a usage rate over 25, just as just as rough markers for being pretty efficient and a high usage guy. Um, who has done that multiple times before the age of 25? And there's a handful of people who have as forwards uh, in the league. And um, Blake Griffin's done it. And there's a bunch of other guys like um, uh, I think Larry Bird did it. Charles Barkley actually didn't do it. He didn't have high usage earlier in his career, even though he was efficient. You know, Dirk Nowitzki. Um, you know, Carl Malone, guys like that. And then how did they do during, at the age where we have Blake under contract, ages 29 to 32, which is next year through the end of his contract. And it's interesting. Some of them continued to be that productive. Some of them went down a notch and just were like as good as like Andre is now, like a PER of 20. And then some of them were like, had a few seasons where they're like pretty good players, um, but PER of like 18. 
uh, so like uh, peak Reggie Jackson type of years. And so there's a mix. And the only players who stayed at a star level multiple times throughout, many of them did. And so it's really it's really possible Blake could. The only guys who have done that um, are guys who didn't get injured much, like Tim Duncan and uh, guys like that. There are other guys like Adrian Dantley and, uh, you know, guys like that who they had a major injury and they were like pretty good but not great the rest of their career. The worst case scenario is Amari Stoudemire who had one star season and then the fact that he had had one or two microfracture surgeries on his knees just caught up with him and he sucked his last few years with the Knicks. That's really, that's the name that's been brought up. So... Blake was pretty injury prone during his first five years in the league. He missed an average of 20 games a season. If you count the fact that he missed his whole first season with a broken kneecap. And there, uh, there aren't the only other players who have missed that much are like Kevin Love, who this year is having a, a very productive season in, in that age range. So he's a model for how Blake could go. Kevin Love is good. Just broke his hand again. Um, Anthony Davis, more injury prone than Blake Griffin, if you look at games missed. And everyone's talking about how Danny Ainge is possibly a genius for, you know, lining things up to maybe be able to sign Anthony Davis or trade for him and sign him to the same contract Blake Griffin just signed. So it's like, it's what, I just wanted to give some context for, the, it really is true looking at historical data that he, if he doesn't get hurt, he really could, there are guys who produce at that star level throughout this age range. He's not going to be old. He's just going to be at the end of his peak. And there's precedent for taking a half step back. And there's precedent for taking a full step back and being decent but not worth $35 million a year. And really, all of those could happen. And that's, they're all realistic. And there are no guarantees. But it's not like impossible dream hope that he could be really good. Yeah, I mean, the other sort of despair that I felt briefly after we did the the trade was the Allen Iverson trade. Uh-huh. Uh but Alvin Allen Iverson was deeper into his he was older at that time, wasn't he? Uh I think so. He he really fell off. Uh, I mean he was awful like immediately upon arrival. Yeah, he he was not you know, we should just look up what age he was yeah. when we traded for him. Um but he's a undersized guard who uh re- relied on supreme athleticism. And he, yeah, I mean, we Pistons have had bad luck. We've we've ended the careers of several guys who were pretty good when they right when they were traded to us. Allen Iverson, Ben Gordon, uh, Josh Smith, all went from being good to bad upon arrival in Detroit. <laughs> um, um, so I think uh, so he was thirty three. Yeah, that, that that's that's over the hill. We we knew. It was risky to yeah, get Yeah, so in. so th- he, he was an expiring contract. So if we I mean we weren't we didn't sign him to a big long one. The the big the big boner of that one was the fact that we traded Billups when he was still really good. Uh so it's not really apples to apples, but that's sort of like emotional impact of like yeah. the Pistons going for a star that is not a star. That's not really the case here. Blake Griffin this season is better than anyone on our team uh right now. So that's good. Yeah. That's right. So, so you know, best best case scenario, he does he doesn't have many injury problems going forward because he's figured it out. He's changed his game so he's a little more perimeter oriented, and and that's he makes it less likely he gets hurt. We could we could have like we win fifty three games next year, and both Blake and Andre are all stars, or we win 
things go great, we get some sort of great mid-level exception free agent or Luke Kennard takes a real step forward and we win in the high 50s and like Reggie Jackson makes the All-Star team too. Sort of like how Jeff Teague made the All-Star team when the Hawks won a lot of games one year because everything went great. There's a small chance that that happens. It's not impossible. Most likely it's not going to, but like that's on the table. Yeah. It's a home run swing. Yeah, and and I'm trying to think about like if we're going to get another star, there's really no other star we could have gotten. I mean, <coughs> Van Gundy also mentioned that in the press conferences. Like, it just it's just very rare for a star of this caliber to become available, and for us to be able to have a chance at getting him. Yeah. So, um, the the other the alternative path would have been uh, to resign, and I mean, when Tobias's contract is up after next season, after next season, and Tobias is, was one of our. I mean, to me, he was one of our best contracts on our team and most promising aspects of our team him and Drummond so losing him was a as a was a biggie um but losing Bradley uh he 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 really has been disappointed I would not have wanted to resign him for much next year yeah I I might have been willing to resign him for like 14 million dollars or something like that but like yeah who knows what he's going to be demanding he he just did not maybe maybe he's the kind of guy who to, to be good on offense he has to really be on a better offensive team, but he just was not good for us because he couldn't really do much on his own. We were and, hoping he could take a half a step up in how important he is on the offense, and um, turns out the answer is no. He and cannot. and he's and he's and he turns the ball over all the time, uh, and is and he's overrated defensively. Like I I think the 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 metrics, the limited metrics we have on defense, basically say he sucks at defense, and that doesn't that's that's, that's also not true. So he's probably he's yeah. probably both defensive metrics are garbage. Yeah, yeah, but he over he he did not seem to be overall like the hope. Like when we started off on our winning streak at the beginning of the season, everyone was pointing to him of being like the reason we were better. That wasn't really yeah. true, you know. He contributed um, in that. You know, we were getting a lot out on fast break a lot. With he and Stanley, were both getting a lot of steals and stuff like that. He was like, you know, part of the package. And then, I, yeah, I don't know if it was injury problems or if he just kind of sucks or what. Um, but and then also, I mean, you know, we've talked offline about this a bit. Like, you know, he had that sexual assault allegation against him where he like paid somebody off. You ever, you never know what really happened, but it it soured me on him a little bit. Uh, and I'm just like, I'm glad I don't have to like deal with that uncertainty anymore. Uh, just as a fan, uh, yeah, it's, it's harder. It's harder to be to think of him as some sort of team-oriented golden boy uh, when that could be true. We just don't know. Uh, so yeah, I agree. Um, so as far as what we lost, it's really just Tobias, as far as I'm concerned, and the and the draft pick, the draft which, pick. which would have been this year a nine or ten. And you know who knows what that's well, going to turn out to be. Yeah, it's it's like we when Reggie came back, we maybe we we would have made a run, and it would have been like. The fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth pick, thirteenth, or maybe we he came back and we still sucked and we or decided we just to tank, tank yeah. and then suddenly it's the eleventh pick or something like that. But you know th- there are teams that are way ahead of us in tanking. We and the the pick is top four protected. So like if we miss the playoffs and then win the lottery, we get the pick. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't like trading away draft picks, and that's what I really didn't like about this trade. Um, but you know, again, we have a guy for a co- a contract where he could still be in his prime for the whole contract, and the the it, you know he if he doesn't completely end his career with an injury, he's at least going to be as good as like Tobias is this year. That's that per of eighteen ish range. Like that's that's kind of the like 
the not the worst case scenario, but like the most likely bad scenario is Blake's as good as Tobias, but making twice as much. Yeah, and but watching the last couple of games, it's funny because the way that Blake's compared, like he's kind of on the on the stage of is he a top ten player? He's not. Uh, is is he a top twenty player? He might be about a top twenty player. And so you sort of you start to think to yourself, well, he's not that great. He's not a top ten player. But then when you see him on the Pistons, you're like, we haven't had someone this good in a long time. Like he's he's really really good. I mean, that first game was great because he yeah. we're, he was playing against Memphis, who you know they're really struggling right now. They have a lot of injuries. They're not trying that hard. So he just like looked incredible. Yeah. But I mean, that'll help us win those games. We should win. And and by the way, that like he is he he's still that skilled player. He was an MVP candidate a few years ago, and he's still in his prime. So you can imagine for a playoff series, he could be the best player on the floor, including the other team's best player. Which like it's been a while since that's been the case. Yep, uh, and I, I'm I'm optimistic. The other ways you can be optimistic is to see how this might unleash Drummond. We've already seen that it allows him to get back to. Uh, a post game a little bit, not running the offense through him as much. Uh, more lobs from another good passer on the team. Uh, in, in last night's game, when he played awesome, he had twenty two points and tw- like tw- twenty two to twenty two, twenty twenty two, one of the two. Yeah, and then four steals, four blocks, and he was getting uh, passes inside from Blake uh, with good post position and calmly taking lefty hooks that looked good and went in. And you, you start yeah. to wonder, like. Maybe that sort of... I don't like, know if that's fool's gold. It might be fool's gold, but he, he, he might be in a position where he actually gets good post position more yeah. often, sort of as part of the offense, but not like you go down and like everyone knows you're going to do that, and like he's not good enough to be that guy. Yeah. But he's the guy, he, he might be good enough to find himself in good post position and make a reasonable uh, approach to the basket. He, I think you're right. He was a, f- a couple feet closer to the basket than on his worst post possessions. When he takes those, maybe it was just luck that he he made more of them. But something else I've noticed lately in the past few games is he's more likely to face up and use his quickness and get a layup, mm-hmm. just blow by somebody. Mm-hmm. That is really how Andre should be behaving in the post. And that's that's how he ends up earning more all-star spots. So things are really rolling. I mean, who knows what the future holds, even before this trade deadline next week. I mean, we could trade Andre Drummond, for all I know. I, I don't think we should, but he's like an asset we have. Um uh, Coach Thorpe, who, who's an ESPN contributor, like just met, threw that out on Twitter. Like, hey, what if the Pistons like traded Drummond for you know Mark Gasol or something like that? And you know, I don't think we should do that. But um, you know, our friend of the podcast, Charles, uh, asked me the other day, hey, what if we traded Drummond for like CJ McCollum? Um, I'm I'm kind of not ready to process that. I'm just I'm happy that Drummond's playing well and I like him. But you know, it's possible that team construction wise, it, it would. You know, we could get something for him. I still sort of feel like we value him more than other teams do. He has an unfashionable skill set. Teams don't want the dunker, rebounder guy right now. What they want is to play Blake Griffin or Andre or um, play Blake Griffin or um, Draymond Green at center. And you know, yeah. Uh, but uh, we we could we have other moves we could make. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, I mean, so I, I kind of feel like we've. We've really made our put our stake in the ground that Pistons fans, let's be excited. This is not an obviously terrible move, and we are going to be good right now. Um, the last thing we wanted to kind of get to before we close, though, is uh, we made an assertion the last time we did the podcast that uh, the that tra- that taking Kennard over Donovan Mitchell 
might have been okay because who knows? And like immediately, like the second we stopped recording, like I think Mitchell like had a had a breakout game and he's he's been great. Yeah. And and people have really been hammering us for missing that. Along with by the way, like four other teams. Not not us. Nobody cares about us. The Pistons. The Pistons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I don't think anyone noticed or, <laughs> yeah. or listened to our last episode probably. But the um but so yeah that was a miss. But let's talk about that and who else missed it as well and and why like it sucks that we missed him but it's it's also defensible right. that Van Gundy like is it a fireable offense that Van Gundy didn't obviously see we should have taken Donovan Mitchell yeah but Bill Simmons said on a podcast taking Canard over Mitchell might be a fireable offense and I to that I just say like Danny Ainge tried to trade four first round draft picks for Justice Winslow and Charlotte said no so I think that means that both Danny Ainge and Rich Cho of Charlotte should be fired according <laughs> by that logic yeah, um, you know people miss guys. The the Ringers um, draft guide they had um, Mitchell ranked between you know eighth and twelfth or eighth and like sixteenth or something on all their different people. They had Frank Nilakina you know ranked high consistently ranked higher than Donovan Mitchell. Nobody knew Donovan Mitchell was going to be possibly the best guy in this draft. Nobody knew that. People knew he was athletic and had potential. So. You know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. I will. If I had to go back, I would have taken. I would take Donovan Mitchell. However, I will say, even though he's scored forty a couple times and he's getting steals, he right now he is a volume scorer. His his um, true shooting percentage is is not that high. It's like 50, uh, 54. His his offensive rating is like one hundred four, which is bad. Like the it, so what we're seeing right now is potential in volume scoring, but he's not there yet. I mean, it's a lot to expect for a rookie. Um, so one one thing people mention is the the last rookie to have two forty point games in his in his rookie season was Michael Jordan. Okay, but you know, I went and looked. What other rookies have had the combination of high usage that he's had and low efficiency that that Mitchell's had? And there's some good names and bad names on this list. These are rookies that have had. Um, uh, usage over 27% and offensive rating below 105, true suiting percentage below 56%, just to get in that Donovan Mitchell range. Here are the names. Elton Brand, Ralph Sampson, LeBron James, Allen Iverson. Those are the guys that were better than Mitchell's PER this year. Carmelo Anthony, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, Michael Beasley, Ron Harper, Glenn Robinson, Ben Gordon. So those are the types of names we're talking about here. So we have Hall of Famers like LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony, and we have um, you know guys who were had middling careers like Sharif Abdurrahim, Ron Harper, um, Elton Brand made a couple All Star teams. Guys you want on your team, guys you sign to a max contract and then they're not as good as LeBron James, so you don't win a title. I would still take them. Um, Michael Beasley, Glenn Robinson, Ben Gordon, the guys who show flashes of offensive potential, but somehow just never put it together. So, you know, it, things are looking really good for Donovan Mitchell. It looks like he's going to have a really good career. Lots of guys who have done what he's done, being a volume, inefficient scorer his rookie year, have turned out to be really good. But it's not like he's some kind of sure thing Hall of Famer. Yeah, and so, yeah, we should have taken him, but to your point, he's not, it's not going to be like, we might not necessarily be kicking ourselves for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And, and thankfully, Kennard looks to be a serviceable NBA player, which is better than we've done since Drummond in our in our draft picks. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of which, you know, 
Stanley Johnson's putting in a last ditch effort to look like a good player. Yeah, he's been bad, really bad offensively this year. The last couple of games, he started to hit some shots. He's playing really confidently, getting steals, and doing what we saw in the you know Draft Express strengths video, which is getting a rebound and rumbling all the way to the basket to somehow shoot a below the rim layup, even though he's really athletic. It's really weird. Um, okay, you like the. He's got the rest of the season maybe to just show us, like, can he be a starter someday? It's po- it's possible the answer is yes, but his body of work so far in his entire career still says that, like, he has, you know, he kind of sucks. But, you know, Justice Winslow uh, has not been that great. People are also talking about how maybe we would have taken Devin Booker instead, like the Pistons were considering taking him. He's a guy who's, you know, what did he score, 60 in a game last year? He's another volume scorer who there's no guarantees he's ever going to be an all NBA guy. He's really inefficient. He's just, his shot looks good and he shoots a lot. Uh, I don't know what to make of this. Creating a shot is a skill that you want guys to have, as we discussed earlier with Blake. Um, I, I would have taken, to go back, I would take Booker over Stanley. I would take Donovan Mitchell over Kennard. But well, the draft is a crapshoot. Like, you it can't is. blame people for not. You know, rolling snake eyes and winning. You know, well, at the risk of snowballing into Brosian optimism here, I, as we were talking, I was just thinking that Stanley Johnson. People were saying, like Bill Simmons was saying. Obviously, we're obsessed with Bill Simmons. He's like the popular guy who hates us that we still talk about for some reason. But um, I like him. No, I know I like him. But he he uh, he was saying that like you know if he were a if he were a GM, he might try to get Stanley Johnson because that's a perfect person to get who's like hasn't found a fit on their current team but he was still a lottery pick he might find a shot and become really good um well let's see what happens right now we're a different team now with with a uh, way less offensive pressure if he has zero pressure to ever try to create offense and he can just play great defense and then play hard and be ready to make a decisive move to the rim when he should or take an open three when he should and he, hit a corner three yeah That's hit a freaking corner three he you know he might start to look uh, like a, a reasonable NBA player. Um, one more, I don't know, but do you feel like one more sort of Pistons what if because we're the bros in around the horn right now um, that I got to talking to my friends at a, at a, a dude's weekend where we had like 12 friends uh, out in Holland, Michigan, uh, roasting a pig and having fun hanging out, talking a lot of Pistons. Uh, by the way, I, I insisted we watch the Pistons game and we played awful that night. I can't remember who we lost to, but it just was it was miserable. <laughs> I, I, I stopped watching the. I, I was trying to... to convince people to watch the Pistons but I was having a debate with someone and first of all I was embarrassed that I didn't realize that we actually um had already had Darko when we won the championship um because I was saying I was saying that uh it was like we made the I don't know but secondly should here's a question had we had we drafted Carmelo Anthony because that I I thought that happened after we won the championship but it turns out we drafted we drafted Darko the year we won the championship if we drafted Carmelo Anthony would we still have won the championship? My friend Graham, uh, my farmer friend, uh, very confident in his opinions, said, asserts that we absolutely would not have won the championship and it would have destroyed the Pistons' chemistry. And uh, and I, I would go so far as to say it's a risk because Tayshaun Prince was good for us and who knows what you mess mess up. Oh, maybe we wouldn't have traded for Rashid Wallace if we had him. That's another big question. But what what do you th- what comes to mind when you think about that question? I, I mean, it, you never know what would happen, but you got to just assume that having better talent is always better. 
Like, so if you go back in the time machine, you would just pull that trigger and grab Carmelo Anthony. Well, knowing what we know now, you take Dwayne Wade. Yeah, of course, of course. But um, but but if you, you you could only nudge him in that direction because you couldn't nudge someone to take Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh. You can only nudge him to take Carmelo Anthony. Um, yeah, I I think you, uh, I, yes, you definitely take Carmelo. I mean, you 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 take that chance. And you, Dar- so you, Darko contributed nothing to that. But do you think that that, that would have meant that like it, we would have been orienting our team around him, and we wouldn't have taken found a needed to get Rashid for some that that season, or who knows? You know, I actually well, we would have to go back and look and remember what we traded for Rashid, because you know. Um, if we had Carmelo instead of, you know, we wouldn't have had the defense from Wallace and Wallace, but we also wouldn't have struggled to score ninety points a lot of nights. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it's a what, it's a what if we would we would really have to get into. It. But like, of course, you take Carmelo Anthony. Um, you know, Carmelo Anthony playing next to Ben Wallace <coughs> on our front line. Um, oh, I don't know. We lost uh, Chucky Atkins and Lindsey Hunter. <laughs> I mean, we, what I mean is that we trade any draft picks. No, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's an interesting throwback question. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I almost feel like I, I almost wouldn't do it. I mean, it, I maybe we would have done that, and we would have become like a dy- we we maybe wouldn't have won that season, but we would have been like we were close to a dynasty anyway. We I could mean, have we could have been like a like six straight conference finals. And Chauncey Billups talks about that. He thinks that if Carmelo Anthony had come there, he that in a more in a more structured environment with an already winning team, he could have developed better habits and things like that. And he kind of wonders what if like the sort of Pistons Cavs rivalry for the decade, um, but. To take a guaranteed championship for anything else, I don't know. It's it's, a, it's an interesting question. I mean, I guess it's worth discussing, but I know which side I come down on. You, de- right. you definitely take Carmelo Anthony over Darko, uh, even <coughs> even in hindsight, even risking you know that that chemistry for that one title. Yeah, no no question. All right, well we'll have to get Graham to call in next time and, and see what he has to say about this. But anyway, that's a little, fun little ending. Uh, thanks for listening. If you are if you have listened this far and you like us, tell your friends. Um, Go on and give us a rating on iTunes. I don't think we have many of those. And, you know, we have some fun doing this. And if there are, we think if we have like 100 people listening to us regularly, if we if we can kind of at least tread water and keep growing, that'd be fun. So if you like us, tell your friends. And we will uh, see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>